We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by Robert Patricelli, co-chair of the Commission on Fiscal Stability and Economic Growth. Good morning to you, sir. Good morning, Aaron. Now, your group's work officially ended earlier this year, but working as private citizens, you and Jim Smith and others continued on and issued a second revised report this past week. Tell us what motivated you to do that and what you're recommending. Well, Aaron, we we completed our first report on March 1st, and of course that arrived just before the the election that was uh, soon to take over the state and in a short uh, legislative session, and so there really wasn't adequate time for the legislature to focus on the 35 recommendations that we made in that first report. We always felt it was going to be a longer campaign than that one session, so uh, we had expired officially as a group. The 14 of us said we we have to keep going. We've worked hard at this, and uh, we want to keep talking to people around the state about our proposals, and we want to refine them, so that's what happened. What are some of the key points of your proposals? Well, there's six of them. Uh, In contrast to the first report uh, where we covered most of the waterfront, uh, we tried to be more focused and therefore more helpful to a governor-elect and a new legislature. The first first point is uh, we've got to take about a billion dollars out of the state budget. It's it's $4 billion in deficit for the next two years, and that's the way the legislature works. And we think that by getting some outside help in, and other states have done this to good result, some some outside consulting organizations, we can take significant expense out of the state budget without cutting safety net programs. We can also do that by, as they say, optimizing revenues. That means collecting them better, uh, not changing tax rates. Secondly, we say we've got to right-size employee benefits uh, for state workers and teachers. Uh, That's critically necessary because we're up over 50% of the state budget is now fixed costs, and you you can't manage effectively a budget where there's less and less flexibility to do the things you want to do. Third, we think that uh, a pro-growth tax reform is critical, and while we're focusing on the growth aspects of it. We make transportation recommendations and higher education recommendations as well. So, Tell us about the, the need for structural change in state government. It, it seems that you know Democrats and Republicans in the legislature have been relatively successful in working together to craft a budget, but there is kind of a, a cliff coming, isn't there? We, we are really on the slope of the cliff now. Uh, we have reached the 50% fixed cost level, which is 
quite high among the states. I don't know if there's another state that's in our uh, situation where we're going to be up to 54% fixed costs by fiscal 2022. Revenue optimization, let me give you some examples of the kinds of things we're talking about. We we collect only about 58% of the sales tax that is owed. Uh, most states are up in the 60s. Uh, every percent that we can improve the collection at the current tax rates is worth about $70 million. So shouldn't we be looking at the mechanics of uh, sales tax collection? Other things are... Uh, state procurement, uh, fleet management, real estate management. Again, not not the eligibility levels of Medicaid, which is safety net. It's the effectiveness, the operational effectiveness of government. This is the kind of stuff that most political leaders are not familiar with, but in the business community, it's what folks do for a living. Do you think there's a billion dollars of savings in the state budget that represents roughly 5% of the general fund? Well, I would, in, I would include the Special Transportation Fund in this, uh, and together uh, <clears throat> that's about uh, $33 billion of spending. So we're looking at about 3% reduction out of $33 billion, and yes, I, I think that is doable. Tell us about some of the other recommendations you've made for example, establishing tolls on Connecticut highways to help rebuild the infrastructure and to, in this new report, also add a scholarship program. Glad you asked about that because uh, a, an awful lot of the discussion is around uh, high-profile controversial measures, but and tolls has certainly been one of those, but uh, we have learned that there are provisions in the Federal Highway Administration uh, act that allow uh, point-specific tolls to be applied to uh, specific projects uh, that are exactly the kinds of projects that are our highest priorities in this state. They are projects to improve uh, and to minimize congestion on highways and projects involving safety repairs on bridges and viaducts. Uh, those three things uh, encompass most of the high-priority projects that our commission had focused on. So rather than a set of statewide tolls, uh, let's start with point-specific tolls uh, that can fund project improvements. And then what you do is you could issue revenue bonds against that income stream and uh, with that project-specific funding, do what other states have done, go out and identify uh, private partners, engineering, design, and construction firms, and uh, ask them to help execute uh, those projects and uh, get some extra help going beyond the resources of the Connecticut Department of Transportation. And now the, the scholarship component. Why do you feel that is important to, to add that? I, I know there is a major concern about young people in Connecticut being educated and going someplace else. Does that help to maybe sweeten the deal for them to stay here? Oh, it it certainly does. But uh, we are, as you know, the Commission about Fiscal Stability and Economic Growth. And how do you restart economic growth, which has been negative in this state for the last 10 years, 
And one of the answers to that, one of the impediments uh, to economic growth is we've got a, a significant skill shortage in the so-called STEM fields, science, technology, engineering, and math. And uh, the state stopped funding uh, STEM scholarships uh, to private colleges and universities some years ago, which uh, perhaps irrationally, uh, that those are the institutions from which most of the STEM graduates emerge. And so we have said, let's, uh, let's add 4,000 new STEM scholarships at $5,000 a year uh, so uh, over time, that adds up to $80 million a year uh, for a big upsurge in STEM graduates in the state. Uh, we would use bond money for that so that you wouldn't have to squeeze it into the, uh, into the already deficit-heavy uh, general fund. And uh, I think the uh, private business community is very supportive of this recommendation. Among your proposals is to trim the income tax and eliminate the estate tax. And I'm guessing some of the criticism you've received is that that would help the wealthy more than, say, the middle class. How would you respond to that? Well, people have to uh, look at the objective. And the objective here, again, is to reignite economic growth. So the, so the question has to be, uh, not who's a winner or loser in conventional political terms, but how do you get businesses and individuals to invest in and stay in the state? Uh, stop doing it in terms of a transaction, a winner and loser. It's how do we keep business growing and how do we keep people in the state? We propose uh, a significant shift in taxes from business income and personal income at all levels in the tax code, not, not just the wealthy, to a more consumption-based uh, tax system. And we do that by basically expanding the base of the sales tax. We have the fourth narrowest sales tax base in the country, interestingly. That was a surprise to us. Uh, economists universally favor trying to substitute consumption taxes for income taxes, whether on businesses or individuals. So this is conventional e economic wisdom. It's revenue neutral. So what we reduce by way of uh, business taxes and individual taxes comes out even when you add in the, the sales tax base expansion. And uh, our initial detractors would like to highlight that perhaps we're reducing the top rate in the uh, income tax. We think that's important, and we would do away with the gift tax. It's the only one in the country, and the estate tax, it's one of only 13 in the country. But we also uh, increase the earned income tax credit for uh, the lowest income people. We do away with uh, <clears throat> a provision that takes money away from uh, lower middle income people, and we would increase the property tax credit on the income tax for lower middle income and middle income people. So it's a balanced approach. In your original report, you proposed eliminating collective bargaining for benefits for state employees. 
and it seems maybe you took one step back in this revised report? You're, you're right on the money, Aaron. We did. We, uh, we rethought that and, and frankly said uh, <clears throat> the issue is the benefit structure itself, not who's deciding it. And, uh, and with a new governor, uh, we wanted to give him the opportunity to try to sit down with labor and get back around the collective bargaining table to see if uh, uh, a better deal, one that's more in the interests of the taxpayers, could be struck. So uh, we, we would leave collective bargaining in place, but we take a very strong position that the 2017 labor agreement uh, that was negotiated during the Malloy administration has to be reopened. It's not sustainable. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Robert Patricelli. He is co-chair of the Commission on Fiscal Stability and Economic Growth. They issued a revised report this past week. Robert, how do you feel your first, your initial report has been received and, and then this, this one that just came out? Well, I, I think the initial report was well-received by uh, people around the state uh, editorial boards, news media. Uh, we got a lot of support. My co-chair Jim Smith and I, who is absolutely indefatigable, uh, appearing all over the state, talked to chambers of commerce and leagues of women voters and local civic groups, literally thousands of people. And the interest was high, and people want change. They want rationality. Now, our timing was poor because it was a short legislative session. The legislature had some hearings and they heard us out, but there just wasn't time to get anything done. And with the election coming up, it wasn't going to happen. So our timing was poor. Now our timing is better with a new cast of political leaders. And uh, we're, we're optimistic. Uh, the problems aren't going to go away, uh, so they've got to be faced up to. Has there been any dialogue between members of your panel and Governor-elect Lamont's team? Yes. Uh, interestingly, of our 14 commission members, at least seven of them so far are involved in various transition task forces with the governor-elect. Uh, Jim Smith and I have met for uh, close to three hours with the governor-elect and senior members of the transition team. They're very much uh, aware of what our thinking is, and and they're taking it into account. It's up to them to comment on, uh, in due course, on uh, what their view of it is. But we're very pleased with the access we've had, and and we think the governor-elect is doing the right thing to cast the net as broadly as he has to get new new points of view. It seems so often in Connecticut the legislature will order a Blue Ribbon Task Force or a commission, they'll come up with a report and the recommendations sit on the shelf and collect dust. Are you prepared to, to keep your, your voice up as the General Assembly convenes next year and make sure there's some action on this? Well, uh, we'll do our best as a group of 14 people, but uh, really the truth of the matter is uh, the rest of the private sector, and I mean by that, taxpayers broadly, I don't mean just business people, private citizens have got to get engaged in this. 
uh, an election is a poor way to do it, by the way. Uh, as we know, policy doesn't get honestly debated during an election cycle because everything is measured in terms of does it win or lose votes. Uh, now's the time for everybody out there, including all of your listeners, to start talking to their state reps and senators and and talk to their uh, boards of selectmen and political leadership and say, what are we doing about the fact that the state's closing in on 54% fixed costs? I mean, we need some help, and uh, everybody's got to get engaged. It is <coughs> rather a, a dry topic, but help filter it down to the pocketbook issues that affect you know, everyday people. If nothing is done to rein in state finances, how is that going to affect the citizens of Connecticut in the long run? Well, the absolutely central issue is economic growth. Uh, The only path to prosperity in the United States is, is through good jobs and good incomes. It's not welfare programs we believe in and support the safety net, but it's private sector growth and health that is critically important to the well-being of people. And Connecticut has one of the worst uh, economic growth records in the country in the last 10 years. So for us, uh, everything starts with how do we restart our engines And fiscal stability is a critical part of that. You can't get investors and businesses to invest in what they think is a burning ship. And we've got a burning ship right now. So we've got to write the budget. The pocketbook version is we got a chicken and egg. The chicken is the budget. And we got to fix the budget and the $100 billion of unfunded liabilities. And then the egg can be laid. And the egg gets laid when you have a better supply of skilled labor and you have some transportation improvements and you have a tax code that encourages people to do the right thing. It's about as simple as that. Your panel has certainly engaged a lot of different stakeholders as you've done your work. Is there anyone who hasn't been at the table that you would like to see at the table? Well, whether it was our table or the table that was created by the legislature in hearings uh, or the we created in our own meetings, I, I think we've tried to reach uh, very broadly. We, we are not all things to all people. We, we didn't set out to come up with a revision of uh, the education funding formulas or the state health care system. There are many areas of the prison system that we couldn't focus on. We're about fiscal stability and economic growth and the key elements of that and I think most most everybody is involved in those two issues uh, we've talked to. But, hey, if you haven't been heard, give us a call. Following your first report, <clears throat> the, the state put out a, a request from consultants to do the actual work and, and come up with that billion dollars in cost savings in state government. And I, I guess the bids were higher than expected and was really dropped there. Is that essentially what happened? Frankly, the bids weren't higher than expected. I think the legislature uh, told the Office of Policy and Management to put out a request for proposals, but it didn't provide any money. So I have to say that the legislature dropped the ball on that. And uh, so bids came in, as we understand it, we haven't seen them, uh, for a few hundred thousand dollars. 
I think that's a screaming bargain if you're looking for a billion dollars worth of revenue and expense savings. Uh, and so we're hopeful that the that the new governor can find a few hundred thousand dollars to get some expert help in to uh, help us get at this. Changing gears in our last four minutes or so, your father was <laughs> Leonard Patricelli, who ran two of these radio stations that you're hearing our voices on for a number of years here, and you really grew up in the business, didn't you? Well, well, I did, Aaron, and I, I just have the warmest recollections of uh, of the old WTIC. My dad started in 1929 as a continuity writer, and uh, people have asked me, why didn't you go into radio? I, I, I had a brief, inglorious experience in radio as a young teenager sitting on a panel called Mind Your Manners that was Alan Ludden's first broadcast activity. And uh, back in those days, which were so much more in- innocent, teenagers would write in with questions about etiquette to this august panel of teenagers on the radio, and we would try to answer the questions. Uh, that was it for me, but I, I was in and around the studios uh, all my youthful life, and and uh, radio continues to be, I think, a critical element of keeping our public engaged. One of the stories I've heard is that WTIC was a strict tie and coat zone. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. It was a buttoned-up kind of place, and it, it tried to set a high standard in language <clears throat> and conduct uh, and, and without trying to make any comparisons. Uh, but that was a different world then, and I'm I'm talking about the 40s and 50s, and uh, Hartford was a tie-and-coat zone in those days. So that was, the, uh, that was the TIC I knew growing up. Your father not only ran TIC AM and FM, but he also delivered editorials from time to time on the air, which is, is how many listeners knew the name. Yes, I I was working in the federal government at the time, and uh, uh, I used to come back home, and I would say to a cab driver, you know, uh, I'm Patricelli, I'm I'm your pickup, and they'd say, oh, are you related to Leonard Patricelli? And I was always happy to do so, and uh, I had the happy experience of working on policy issues on Washington in Washington, and then feeding good ideas back to him. And he would sometimes editorialize about them. That was, that was how WTIC became a leader in, in the fight against sickle cell anemia in this country. It came out of uh, some of the conversations we'd had. Your father, as as a broadcaster for for so many decades, what are one or two lessons he maybe imparted upon you in, in terms of public service and? being a steward of the facts, getting the the correct information out there so people have the proper tools to make informed decisions. Well, he he taught us around the dinner table the importance of engaging as uh, private citizens. He was on numerous local boards and commissions, and he had a number of local charities he supported. And, you know, if our commission stands for one thing, it is the importance of private citizens uh, staying engaged on public issues. We can't succeed as a country or as a state 
if we think we can delegate our problems to our elected officials. Doesn't work. Uh, we have to be engaged. So uh, that was my growing up. He is Robert Patricelli, co-chair of the Commission on Fiscal Stability and Economic Growth. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Aaron. It's a pleasure to be back to WTIC. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network.